Welcome. So good morning, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to join us this morning as we are learning. Um, today, our topic is, is there space for an extra Torah judicial system? A little bit of a complicated and difficult question to answer. So let's spend a little bit of time unpacking this and trying to understand what's going on here. I'd like to start, first of all, um, thank Moshe and Yara Berger, who are sponsoring today's shiur in the commemoration of the yard sites today of uh, Moshe's mother, Sarah Bas Alexander Yitzchak. Just a little bit of background. Um, Moshe's mother was born in Vienna in 1924 and her family left Vienna to Belgium and then to Paris and eventually to the USA in 1971. They all moved to Israel where uh, Moshe's mother was always the happiest. She was an ardent Zionist and loved living in Israel. She was the ultimate mother, booby and always had some warm words and lots of warm food. Throughout the good times and difficult times, she always had a big smile and a hug for everyone. May she have an alias neshama. We also want to th thank um, Yitzhak and Barbara Lehman Siegel, on, who are sponsoring for the yard site of your Barbara's beloved father, Dr. Manfred Lehman, Rav Menashe Rafael Ben Hachover Chaim Vefega, one of the founders of Yilk. He was an international businessman, mostly in Africa and the Caribbean. One of, the one of the founders of, of Yilk, he was actually the second president of our shul. He was born in Stockholm, Sw Stockholm Sweden. Um, he spoke, was fluent in nine languages, including hieroglyphics, Latin and Greek. Uh, Hebraist, loved classic music, Mozart, operas, Bialik, and Yudha Levi. And uh, was a Talmud Chacham, had received smicha from Neri Yisrael, and was, had a master's in Egyptology and Oriental Studies from Johns Hopkins University. He was an expert in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a collector of rare Kisvayad, and um, who was a published author, staunch public supporter of Israel, um, and uh, of course the founder of many institutions locally as well. Be'ezrat Hashem, his neshama have an aliyah, and let us, let us learn, let us let think of these special individuals as we learn today. Uh, this is a complicated topic, folks. Last time we spent a little bit of time thinking about, does, the, does Judaism say that there's one system of government which is recommended? And that's a complicated debate, and it's a Tanakh-based debate. Now we get into, the, I guess, the more complicated and more subtle question, which is, um, we're only looking at one branch of government. What, are, are there other branches of governments? And if there are, what are they based on? And this starts moving into the modern era today, once we get a sense of what's going on beforehand. So if you're to ask your average person, what is, you know, how, upon which law does Jewish society operate? Um, most people coming out of Jewish day school would say, well, of course, Torah law. Right, everything that the Torah tells us and the way things should operate, and that's that's going to be the basic fabric of um, of this of society and and the the legal system. The problem is that it's not exactly a hundred percent because it's so it's it's kind of hard to govern a society based only on Torah law, folks. And this is not this is not Rabbi Trump saying this. This is Gabor <laughs> saying this. Okay, so this is uh, just to clarify this point. So let me give you a few examples of where where it becomes complicated. So the, let, let's take a look at the first Mishnah. This is a Mishnah in, in Sanhedrin, um, I, in, in the Perik Hayuboidkim. It's Perik Daf Memon Mor Aleph. Hayuboidkim Oisam Beshiva Chakiros. They would they would ask the Adim, they cross examine the Adim in court in the base in the Sanhedrin, um, with seven different types of questions. So they try to specify time and place. That, that makes sense. Um, so he was a little, Rabbi Yossi was a little more to the point. Okay, good. But now the Gemara, the Mishnah goes a little further and says it gets more complicated. Um, it says, Kolamar b'bidikos, b'bidikos, there is a Meshubach, Ma'asu b'odak ben zakeh b'ukzei ta'enim. 
Oh, I, I skipped a line. That was the most important line. It was the bo- bottom line on the page. Makirinatem oisoi. Hitartem oisoi. Ha'ovet azavarazora. Es mi shavar ba'me avad. So they would ask the specifics of the crime committed. And then they would ask the witnesses who are testifying. They're in the dock right now. Did you give them hasra? Let's just clarify what hasra is for a second. Hasra is a system of warning. This is absent from the legal system, the well called the American Code of Law. So hasra is where the witnesses would be responsible to say, don't commit crime X or you will be um, subject to the punishment for crime X. And that, that's the need of hasra. But it gets more complicated than that, as the Gemara tells us, that the hasra, the warning process, has to be within toich kadei dibur. It has to be within the amount of time, which is three seconds, that a person can say, Shalom Aleichem Rebbe. That within that span of time, which is essentially at, at maximum three seconds, the hasra needs to be given within that, those three seconds of the crime committed, and the person needs to say, Af al meaning to say, to heck with that, and then commits the crime. Right? So the, 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 what we're trying to ascertain, that this person is really rebelling against Torah law. And in order to do that, there kind of can be no distractions. The person needs to be fully cognizant of what they're doing in order to, to get there. But now, folks, <laughs> if you ran a good mafia, right? So you would just make sure to, the, the rules of operation would be is that when you're about to kill anybody, all you need to do is wait five seconds, and now you're done, right? <laughs> right? So if, in, in the unlikely chance, you've not eliminated the witnesses, Right there, then, then, uh, and there's people around you warning you. Well, first of all, if they're brothers, then you're all right, because then the apostle will aid us. But let's say they're not brothers and they warn you. All you need to do is wait five seconds, eliminate the the, the victim, and then eliminate them, and you're all right, right? Because because in the end of the day, nothing else is going to bring you to bring you to trial. The, in fact, the Mishnah tells us in Makos, the last Mishnah in Makos on Source Two, Sanhedrin no heges beeretz of chutzla aretz. The Sanhedrin had power of jurisdiction both in Israel and diaspora. The Sanhedrin, which will kill once in a Shavuot, is called a uh, destructive, um, um, a destructive uh, Sanhedrin. It's 70 years. 70 so I was going to ask you, Shavuot sounds, sounds like a week, right? That's, it's not a week. It refers to seven years, at least, in, this, in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yelezer ben Azariah Oimer Echad Shivim Shana. Rabbi Lazar Nazari disagrees with Tanakam and he says once in 70 years is considered Chovlanis, is considered a destructive Sanhedrin. Rabbi Tavrin, Rabbi Kiva, Amirim Ilu, Hayinu, Sanhedrin, Loi Nerag, Odo, Me'olam. So Rabbi Tavrin, Rabbi Akiva, later colleagues, said that if we were in power, we would have ensured there would be no deaths. There would be no executions in Sanhedrin. Rabbi Shimon Gamniel, Amir, Af, Rabbi Shimon Gamniel, Amir, Af, Hayin, Amir, Beshoif, Kedavim, Be Yisrael. So Rabbi Shimon Gamniel says, yeah, that, that's very nice for the murderers. It's not very nice for society, because society is going to then, you go, in, the, in the absence of power, what happens? Anarchy sets in, and that's what you're going to, going to see. The Gemara goes into detail, and the Gemara says, well, how does this work? Like, what, what would Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tavon precisely do? So the Gemara goes on to, into great detail, to graphic detail, to say how they would, they would ask questions which would be very hard for Aiden to produce the, the necessary, the necessary to, uh, details about. You know, did you know if this person was, you know, a, 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 a traitor, was a person who was about to die? 
You know, maybe, maybe there's a hole where you inserted the dagger that you didn't know about. All those kind of questions. And when it comes to adultery, do you know specific graphic details that would relate to the fact that you actually saw <laughs> the, the couple in such a position? All these kind of things which are really basically impossible for, um, for your, your standard by, bystanders to produce. And therefore, they would have really essentially, um, they would have, uh, they, they would have um, acquitted most people coming to court. And so you just say to yourself, the question of Rabbi Shimon and Gamliel rung, rings true. So if that's the case, there are bad people out there and they will take advantage of anything they can in the law. And if the law is not providing a safety net for society, then hey, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have a society of Shofchei Damim. How do we answer Rabbi Shimon and Gamliel's question is, the, uh, is, is at stake. Similarly, you see this a remarkable observation. The Gemara says in Avodah Zorah, it says a number of places in Shaz. <laughs> The Gemara says that um, towards the end of the second base of Migdash, when things were getting a little hot, that was when things were not good among, among the Jews, the Gemara says um, in its source, For my time I came into Chazut, and if you should have a little right Amru Mutav Nigle Lemokom, Mimokom Lemokom, Kiechi Deloy Lechaivo. So the Basin says, the Sanhedrin Agadol said before, this is 40 years before the destruction of the base of Migdash, it's around the year 30, common era. They said, look, there's so much murder going on in society. It is better for us, the Sanhedrin, to move from our station, to move from our station in the, in the Lishka Agazis in order to lose our ability to be able to execute. So the, the Gemara talk about what's called Mokom Gorim, that the place, the place they, they were allowed to execute based on where they sat. They said, we're going to remove ourselves from where we sit in order not to be able to judge people. Which seems counterintuitive because what you would say is, if there's a lot of murder, then what you need, um, Romeo Giuliani, is zero tolerance. Right? That's what you need to start doing. We're going to start ticketing on those people double parking in the old city. That's what they should have said. Right? But in the end of the day, what do they do? They said, no, no, we're going to stop judging um, um, to, in order to, to not, not to prosecute murderers. So you see that, 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 that that's not going to work for society. Right? That, it sounds like Sanhedrin's got a different agenda than simply keeping society in check. And you wonder, then, how did society operate? How exactly, if Torah was the only system that was operational at that time, then that doesn't make sense, right? Any circumstantial, circumstantial evidence would be disqualified, right? Smoking gun not, and would not, not, not be sufficient. You couldn't even incarcerate somebody based on that. So what, 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 how do we do this? So there's a very, very famous observation made by Rabbeinu Nisim of Girona. He... Um, wrote a number of works, but one of them was a very important work called the Drosha Saran. This question bothered me for many, many, many years. This is a question I never really understood. And in the, sort of in the back of my mind, because you don't like to ask questions which you don't think there are answers to, right? Um, but, but this is a question which I'm sure bothers many people. And I happened to have the opportunity, I was going through the Drosha Saran when I was in Yeshiva, and um, I went through Joshua Yud Aleph, which is a Drosha on some parashas Shoftim. And by the way, folks, when they talk about a Drosha, we're talking about a drasha. We're not talking about nine minutes. And Rabbi, why are we coming out of shul three minutes later than usual? And there's a kiddush that was waiting for us. We're talking about a real drasha, right? So read it. It's it's uh, it's very long, okay? So it's, it's pages after pages after pages. And um, and in this, he describes the general. He has a an arc where he looks at parshas shoftim as a whole, which is what we're going to try to do. And he makes the following observation. It's a gazunt. Makes the following beautiful observation. I think it's, a, it's an incredible insight into, into Judaism. Source, in Source 5. So here's what, here's what he says. I'm going to explain to you what I think the Torah is talking about in, in Parshas Shoftim. Yodohu ki amin ha'enoshi tzarich l'shofet she'ishpot ben pratav. 
every society, all human beings, need to have some sort of system of justice. Look at Venezuela. Otherwise, when there's no system of government, when you have a failed state, then anarchy rules supreme. The world will be destroyed. There is no way to, for people to succeed, to prosper, for families to be built because you don't have a, a government protecting them. Every society needs safety of government. Even bandits need to have a social contract. There needs to be a, a basic understanding of how this operates. When you read Free Economics and you work, read how the drug dealers operate, right? They did research on those journalists who went into, in, into the, the um, east side of Chicago, the, the south side of Chicago, and uh, joined a, a, a drug dealing gang. There are rules. There's how stipends work for, the, for those who you know, die in service. You know? there's, there's all kinds of things. There's a social contract of how these things work. In terrorist organizations, right? The reason, read, read the Harpoon by, um, by Nitzana Leitman Darshan, if you want to have an eye-opener. It's all money. There's, the, it's, there's a social contract of how terrorist organizations operate. It says, And guess what? Israel needs that the same. Israel also needs a basic social contract of government. But in addition to basic social contract of how society has to operate, Israel is special. We also have Torah. And the Torah gives us fundamental, objective, God-given um, standards, which we need to implement as well. Because we have to keep within the bounds of Torah as well as basic social contract. So as an example, a person violates Shabbos. Is society going to fall apart? Is there going to be anarchy next Saturday? The answer is, not necessarily. Society will carry on running. But this person has transgressed the, one of the most severe uh, requirements and regulations and commandments in the Torah. It's the, it's the fourth of the Aseris Adibros. That's, that's warrants de- the death penalty if done bemazed with Asra. That needs, that needs to, to be taken to, to justice. Every, therefore, these two, these two items are, are, are needed. The person needs to be judged based on true, true justice, which is based on the Torah. Let's say that you cannot prosecute a person based on true justice. In other words, you, have no, you don't know that they rebelled against God's Torah. You don't know that this person really, really rejected the Torah. He missed Asra. They weren't Adem. But you still need to get rid of them. Right? Still, still a threat to society. And therefore God instituted two different governing forces in order to address these two needs. So there are shoftim, those are judges. That's the courts, the Sanhedrin. They are going to be the institution to apply God's given law. And their jurisdiction does not extend beyond that. So the person, they don't know that this person transgressed Torah law. There is no way they're going to prosecute such a person. And then you have the king. 
and a different branch of government, and he takes care of the rest. So as an example, let's say we deal with the case that we talked about beforehand. So a person comes to court, murder's been committed, they come, they come in, and, um, and they, they cross-examine the witnesses, the witnesses do check out, they're not related to each other, and, 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 and so on. Okay, good. Then they say, well, technically, did you give us straw? And the one says, yeah, absolutely. The other one says, yeah, I, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to give us straw. Or they find out that the, the fellow waited five, five seconds, right? Or they figure out that they only saw a smoking gun, right? One person enters the house being chased by another person with a, with a gun. There's, there's seven shots. The person walks out the house with a smoking gun. The person's dead. No one else is in the house. They basically said, did you, did you see that? No, we didn't, we didn't see it. Okay, case dismissed. <laughs> so they walk out into the federal police. And the federal police then take them to the king's court and that person is executed the next day. That's how it works. Which means, how is society going to have basic, basic law and order? That's the king's department. How is it going to be that, that a society operates based on the Torah, absolute law of the Torah? That's the Shoftim as well. So there are two different departments working at the same time in order to preserve, on the one hand, basic society, justice. On the other hand, the Torah law as well. So we have built into us, not just the fact that we need to keep society running, but that we're also upholding God's holy Torah, which sometimes has social ramifications and sometimes has ritual ramifications as well. As an example, Shabbos, which is not a social law, it's a ritual law, as an example. So that's the way, the, the way he looks at it, which is a remarkable idea. Think about this for, 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 for a moment. Is we have two arms of government. How does the run arrive at this? The run arrives there by perforce, in a certain sense. This is a very beautiful way of understanding how society works. And that's why a king is given more power than the regular court systems. His, his court systems are going to have, have a wider net, which is why, says the run, that the Torah spends so much time regulating the power of the king. When the Torah describes making a king, he has to have a safer Torah, right? He has to abide by, uh, by the Torah. He can't have too much. He can't be too indulgent in life because he's making, there's many laws which ride upon his, his shoulders. One can see the dangers and the weaknesses in, 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 in such a society. But if, if that's the case, when the king is killing a person based on circumstantial evidence, is he doing that because the Torah told him to, meaning to the Torah say, in the smoking gun episode, the circumstantial evidence. So the Torah say, when there's a smoking gun that you can kill somebody, the answer is no. That's social contract, which even bandits have. But we are lucky that we have another tiered system above that. But that means that the Torah recognizes that you need to have another system of government. That being the case, it gives us a lot more to think about when the Torah says that the request of, the, of B'nai Israel in the future will be, when that B'nai Israel come and say, you're going to ask for a king, no, not a shoteno, what is it like all the nations? The answer is, every nation needs a system of government. And that's what they're asking for. They're not asking for it, which now gives a lot more meat to what the run said, what we learned last week, which is when they ask the king to be the shofet, that's when it's dangerous. Because when they say, we're going to want to pull all power, Torah power and judicial power of a basic, sorry, executive power into one, into one system of government, that's a problem. Yes, that, that's what the run was really saying last week with a little more, a little more depth now. Lear, yes. Doesn't the king then obliterate the power of the Torah court? Oh, so doesn't it eclipse, essentially, the Torah court? So it sounds like the first stop would be the Torah court, meaning the Sanhedrin would be the, would be the main system of government because in a, in a certain sense you could ask the basic question yourself, which is, what, what right do we have as one human being to kill another human being? I mean, that's a, that's a very, very heavy thing. For a human being, not in a state of battle, 
not in a state of immediate life threat to kill another human being. So the, the one answer is, is when the Torah tells us that this is when you can execute somebody, based on these laws, check one, check two, check three, check four, then we can say that the Torah says that person dies. But that's not because we said so. How can you as a human being say another person deserves to die? Right? That's the, the, only, the, only, the, only, the, the only answer that we have. So that person will go to Sanhedrin and they say, is, did this person transgress the Torah? Why they aid him like the Torah said so? All those things are Torah law. Now let's say that fails, right? Let's say that fails. So now the second set, the, the, the second recourse is, well, having this fellow in society is going to be a real problem. So the king's going to say, listen, you know, um, uh, based on the, the uh, law of, co the common law of the land, the, the circumstantial evidence is sufficiently, um, is sufficient enough to get rid of this person. But that would be the second tier. That would be, so to speak, a supplementary net, right? So more than, more than the regular society. I don't, I don't think that the king could kill somebody <coughs> for not being Shomer Shabbos. Yeah, so that's, that's not a societal, that's not going to hurt. Yeah, now so, so just to clarify one piece which is also worthwhile knowing is that there, the courts also have an extrajudicial uh, an, an extra power as well. So the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin that at a time where morality was a little bit shaky in society and people were engaging licentious behavior in public, the courts themselves would give lashes to such people because that was not... That was, that, that was seen as leading to, to the wrong, that's without the necessary, well, necessary pro, you know, we'll call it um, due process, right? So it, that's, works, but that's in the ritual realm, if you think about it. The king is in the social realm uh, of this, well, so it, 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 there, there is this extended sort of program over here, but it's worthwhile noting, I think, the in answering your question is that the first stop is the Sanhedrin. The king would be to, to ensure that nothing's falling through the cracks, because it could. But this <coughs> would also Correct. So there were, but you're right. There, there were times where the courts, and so the run, the run addresses that, and he argues that it's only within what called aspects which are concerned specifically about Torah law infringements of Torah law in general, rather than the social law as well. So he, he saw he has two sets of extrajudicial law essentially. Sorry, yeah. But we're really talking about <coughs> not in the abstract. We're talking about religious law when we have people going to based in. And I thought the backup to, I thought, first of all, using Adam was really to say, call you You have to love a person enough to want him to do better and to not sin, which is why there's a system of Asra'a. But absent that, part two, I didn't think was necessarily the living king, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, if, if we as humans failed to, to not stop a, a, a crime from happening and he fell through the system because he waited five seconds or he, it was a smoking gun. That's okay, God will take care of him anyway. So, so just to, so in terms of Adem, Adem itself, the reason why Shnei Adem and all the very severe limitations as to what Adem looked like, it's a, it's a very limited scope of who can act as an aide. Uh, the reason why that, that we do that is, is ultimately we could give we could theorize reasons, but it's because the Torah said Alpi Adem Adem meaning we, we, truth is established through the process of two Adem, and we don't really know why. But the reason why we can rely on it is because it's Xera Kajbarakolalas, which is helpful to us, because otherwise, what level, what what uh, what bar of 
we'll call it knowledge, do you need to have to execute another person or give another person ashes? I would, I would be very concerned if I was the one who had to arbitrate that and, and say, oh, this amount of evidence. The Torah tells us, and that's Xera Himil Fona, you could add you know, the theory of Holy but I'm actually happier to say that it's Xera because then it's only a God-given truth that I'm, that I'm operating with. Um, in terms of the second thing, you're right, and I, 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 I would love to think like you. Unfortunately, the criminals don't. And, and what happens is, is, is that, uh, is that it, it may be true that ultimately, at some point in time, on their yacht, you know, 30 years from now, which they bought with stolen money, based on the backs of all the people that they, they, they extorted and killed, um, you know, maybe they'll fall off the staircase and, you know, and, and, and God will take his justice. But in the meantime, there's been 30 years worth of more victims. And so... You, 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 the, the, what the king is ensuring is that there's not going to be 30 years. And, and, uh, and we, we can't leave everything in society. And, I, and that's what I, I would have thought. But what he's saying is there has to be another system which puts such people behind bars. Because otherwise, it's going to... Look, look at society. Look what happens in society. Let me just get, like, get a little further. I want to take... Standards that we don't know the standards of the king. If we, we don't. We don't. And that's precisely what I'm saying. Is there space for an extrajudicial system in, in Torah? And the answer is yes. Where did he get that from? For all intents and purposes, he could have copied that from the British parliamentary law, which is what the state of Israel did. Okay? So, like, so that, that doesn't really matter. Because the point is, whatever the systems of justice of surrounding societies are, if that's going to work, let, let it work. That's great. Meaning, let, let there be some, so some system of justice. Let's take it one step further. Now, so it, it turns out that, that, that I think it's even more sophisticated and, and, and exquisite than, than even what we were thinking. And the Torah is a very sophisticated system. We just don't talk in these terms because we're so used to living outside of sovereign Jewish rule that we, we, when we read these things, we're just reading parasha. We're not understanding that Torah is talking about how to govern a society because we're still in the diaspora mentality. Okay, so the, the, just to take a step backwards, in the year 1748, there was a, um, a, Fren uh, a French philosopher um, whose name was, um, and again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing him, Charles Louis de Secondat, Baron de la Brade Montesquieu. Okay, anyways, when I, when I grew up, there was a road that was just parallel to us called Montesquieu, and I didn't realize it was named after him. Okay, so there was, so um, he was a very fascinating. Um, philosopher who wrote a, a book called The Spiritual the Laws, Le Spirit de Lois, and, he, and in it he, he makes the following observation. <clears throat> now, folks, why is 1748 relevant? Just why is this an important year? Or just in terms of generally, generally speaking? At this point, it's pre French Revolution, right? So, in charge of France is a monarch at this point in time. And so, remember, what year was, this, was the French Revolution? 1789, good. And so this is also in regards to America at this point in time. This is also pre-revolution. Okay, so just to appreciate the, the brilliance of this, his observation. He says the following. He says, liberty does not flourish because men, men have natural rights or because they revolt if their rulers push them too far. Those are two extremes. And he's, about, and he's talking about both, both of those things that were about to just happen. It flourishes because power is so distributed and so organized that whoever is tempted to abuse it finds legal restraints in, in his way. So you distribute the power in such a way that no, it's not seated in one person. And he goes on to describe it. In every government, there are three sorts of power. Legislative, the executive in respect to things dependent on the law of the nation, of, of nations, and the executive in regard to matters that depend on civil law. 
by the virtue of the first, the principal magistrate enacts temporary or perpetual laws and amends or abrogates those that have already been enacted. By the second, he makes peace or war, sends or receives embassies, establishes the public security and provides against or invasions. By the third, he punishes criminals or determines the disputes that arise between individuals. The latter we will call judiciary power and the other simply the executive power of the state. When the legislative and executive powers are united in the same person, or in the same body of magistrates, there can be no liberty, because apprehensions may arise lest the same monarch or senate should enact tyrannical laws to execute them in a tyrannical manner. Does that make sense? You can't have the same person doing the law and making the law. Otherwise, it's bad. Similarly, he says, again, if there's no liberty, if the judi- there's no liberty if the judiciary power be separated from the legislative and exec- uh, executive. Right? So he points out you need to separate each of these three arms of government in order for there to be a just and civil society. The reason why this, of course, is so important is because, guess what? When the American Revolution came along, how did they set up, how did the framers of this country set up the the branches of government in response to British monarchy was precisely as such. And they set up three branches of government, the legislative, executive, and judicial, each meant to be a check and balance for the other, in order to make sure that those who are making the law, not executing the law, right? The, and this is precisely how the United States of America runs, which is, in, if you think about it, is a remarkable, um, a remarkable stride for humankind to arrive at this system of government, where you have a level of systems of government. Now, but notice the British, the British system um, is also well with a democratic monarchy to what, what you call parliamentary monarchy. Is a constitutional monarchy, thank you. It's really like a camel, right? So a camel is like, you know, a horse created by a committee, right? So it's like, it, what happened was there used to be a king, and then the people got more and more upset, so they kept on adding extra things. We'll have a house of lords, and then we'll have a house of commons. And they kept on adding as concessions to people, and you end up with this hodgepodge of, uh, you know, different systems, which is, which is fine. Um, but, but America started from the beginning and said, well, no, no, let's set this up, Lechadchila. And based on Montesquieu's ideas, they separated the powers of government into three arms. Phenomenal. Okay? Now, so argues Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Sachs has many essays on this topic, and it's, it's so remarkable. He says, Judaism was already doing that. Judaism already had, the, had, the, had got this long before Montesquieu came along. So he gives, he gives an example. If you take a look at the Pasuk um, of, uh, in Yeshayahu, when we describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we say, Hashem Shoftenu, Hashem is our judge, Hashem Echokakenu, Hashem is our lawgiver, Hashem Malkenu, Hashem is our king, who Yoshienu, and as such, he'll save us. When we describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we already talk about three uh, distinct operations that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or hats, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wears when it, turns, when it comes to government, a Shofet, a Mechokek, and a Melech. So, thank you, thank you, Mr. Montesquieu. But it turns out that it turns out that Judaism really was talking about this, and in fact, argues Rav Sachs. If you look at Parshas Shoftim, you will see three distinct arms of government, which perhaps we don't we don't think about in these terms. The first, of course, is a king, which we've been spending a good amount of time on. When the Torah says, "Kisavala you want a king, have a king, and here's how you do it. We discussed last week as to, is this prescription? Is this a, really a prophecy? The, the next is the prophet. The Torah tells us the next source. Um, they're listening to all kinds of sorcerers and quacks. That's not how Hashem wants you to live. 
I'm going to set up a prophet for you and you're going to listen to that person. At Sinai, you said this is this is too much, too much fire, too much lightning. Let me let me hear from from a prophet. Therefore, I'm going to give you a prophet because that's what you asked for. And then finally, the priest. Uh, the Torah tells us uh, uh, also Parshas Shoftim. They don't have their own portion, they're not landed. And then these are the things you're going to give to them for them to be supported. So three, in a certain sense, the way that Rabbi Sachs looks at this is there's three systems or three systems of governance in, in Judaism. One is the priest, the prophet, and the king. That's the way he looks at, uh, at the system. And each of them performs a different, uh, a different function. And there can be tensions between each of these different branches. In, a, in an essay he wrote called Three Crowns, and he, po- he points out, um, in, this is the next source, the second line, he says, The king led the people in a battle. He recruited an army, levied taxes, and was responsible for civic order. That was what the Moran pointed out. The priest mediated the relationship between the people and God. He served in the temple, offered sacrifices, and ensured that the holy was at the heart of the national life. The prophet brought the word of God to the people and the cause of the people to God. And that's why the Mishnah tells us that Shloshek Sarem Hem, there's three crowns, Kesa Kuna, Kesa Malchus, and Kesa Torah, as represented by the Navi. Right? So they, these are not just meant to be the crowns that are around the different clay um, um, the, 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 whether it's the Aaron, the Shulchan, or the Mizbeach Hazav, but it also reflects in society three different crowns of leadership necessary. And you can think back to Tanakh where there are tensions between them. So as an example, let me give you just like an example, and it makes so much sense now, is there's so much time where, there's a, where, there's, where there is a tension between the <coughs> prophet and the king, where the king seems to be going, going rogue and the prophet's trying to rein the king in, right? Because the prophet representing Torah is meant to be trying to be a check and balance to the actions of an absolute or otherwise would be absolute ruler. Sometimes the coin plays that role. As an example, when it talks about the, little, the young king, Yoash, whose entire family was massacred by his mother. Um, and she, she, Ataliyahu killed the entire family. She was from the other side. She was from the daughter of Israel. She, um, when her husband was killed by Yehu, she massacred the rest of her family to gain absolute power. Yoash was saved um, and placed above the Kodesh Kedoshim by Yoasheva. Um, which was the, the, the wife of Yehoiada. Yehoiada um, was uh, the Kohen Gadol at the time. Saved him, put him on the throne at the age of seven, and guided him. But guess what happened when Yehoiada died? When Yehoiada died, people said, you know, Yoash, you grew up above the Kodesh Kadoshim. You must be holy. And, you know, human beings have a very difficult time with ego <laughs> in general. And when people start worshipping you, as we see in today's society, it's very hard to turn that down. And he allowed them to worship him to a certain degree. He allowed that type of flattery to work. And when the son of Yehoiada, who was the coin at the time, called Zechariah, a coin, came to him on Yom Kippur and said, folks, this is not the society of God. Once they killed him in the base of Mikdash, and we, Zechariah's tomb is in the, at the bottom of the Valley of Kidron today. You can visit Zechariah coins. It's next to Yad Avshalom. It's the two huge mausoleums. The, so here's, the one, here's the, the one on the right is Yad Zechariah. 
And because he was killed, the Gemara tells us this terrifying, uh, terrifying story that the blood of Zachariah was never acquitted and it boiled until the point of Espasium came in and, 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 uh, and killed many people on that spot because he realized there was something, there was some blood that had not been um, uh, given um, its, full, its full revenge. I mean, really bad stuff. And that again is a dispute between two branches of government, really. There's the coin and the king. And there's many times will be the coin and the prophet. If you think about Eliyahu and Ahav and that relationship. The, what, the, what, what's happening over here is that Kodesh Baruch Hu is saying, is how do I govern? How do I rein in different parts? The teaching of God, the ideas of God in action in, in, in the Beis Hamidash, or, or civic law which is being dispensed by the, uh, the, the king. The, que- and the, the question really is, is and, and this is I guess the piece that, that's left out, is where does the Shofet belong? Where does the judge belong in all of this? Because the beginning of the parasha is shoftim, the shotrim, titelecha Let me ask you a question in American society. <clears throat> under which branch of government does the, um, does the police force um, belong? Under which uh, uh, branch, right? Executive. Executive, good. The, the, the police force belongs under the executive because that's execution of law. But that's only federal police. It's more complicated in America because you have state as well. Which, by the way is in a certain sense modeled after Israel when it would operate correctly, which is Shvatim and Melech. Okay? So there was meant to be, that was meant to be that division of, in, of what we'll called subdivision of identity as well. The Torah recognizes that. But uh, that's the way it works in America. So where does the priest, sorry, where does the Shofet belong in, uh, in the Torah law? So uh, one option is you could say that really he is an expression of the priest. Right? You could say the priest's were the ones who organized, the, 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 so to speak, the Shoftim and the Shotrim. How so? Because if you read the, the in Parashat Shoftim, when it says, The Pasuk says, Where do you go? So you go to the Kohanim and put it, put it there together is the Shofet. So maybe the Shoftim are an expression of the branch of government, which is... Well, the branch of leadership, which is which is the quite Another possibility is is no, maybe, maybe it's really an expression of the priest. I mean, the priest is teaching Torah law. He represents Torah law, so maybe he could actually belong under that. And therefore, coming back to the run, Rabbi Nisni, maybe that's where it really belongs. Um, and and uh, um, but the, sorry, sorry, the, uh, that, so that's the priest, the, the prophet, the, 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 as, as the prophet as the navi. And how do you see this? Because at the end of Seder Olam Rabbah, which is the Medrash timeline of all of uh, all of. Uh, um, of, uh, of Jewish history, it describes that at the time that the Nevi'im were retired, at the time, at the beginning of the, uh, of the Bayes Sheni, who took the place of the Nevi'im, the, the Medrash tells us, <coughs> when Alexander the Macedonian arose, Alexander the Great arose, um, it says, it says, who Alexandros Macedon, Shemalach Yud Bayes Shona, Ad Kano Yu Nevi'im Misnavim Racha Kodesh Mekan Va'elach Hat Oznecha Oshma Direcha Chomim. So he took the, the, the place of the Navi, is the sage. So maybe the, maybe the sage is an expression of the Navi. But perhaps, and I, I think that, that most tenably, is that maybe, in and of itself, maybe it's the fourth arm of government, which the Torah is talking about. And that's uh, perhaps, I think, what Rabbi Sachs is saying in, in a quotation in this essay. He says, for the Torah, as John Locke put it, were there to be no law, there is no freedom. Indeed, the Judaic system might be best described as a normocracy. In the famous saying, it represents the government of laws, not of men. So in a certain sense, maybe the Shoftim themselves are another branch of government. So that's the Shofet and the Melech, with two systems of courts, in a sense. And then you have the, the, the teachers and expressors of Torah as the Kohanim 
and the Levim to the Kwanim and the and the, the prophets to keep in check the other balance uh, the other parts of of power, whether it be the king or the Shafet themselves. If looking at it from that perspective, then you essentially have four different branches of government, two in a certain sense executive or judicial, and then you have the um, the, 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 the Navi and the Kohen. Worthwhile thinking about how these all interact with each other because all four of them are descri- discussed in Parshas Shavtim. That Parsha describes all the systems necessary for a government to operate as well. And you see, I'd like to talk about one example of a breakdown of these systems where Judaism once again regains power, but has a problem when it regains power as well. So the Torah tells us in the end of Parshas Vayechi, Lo Yasur Shevet Mihuda, the scepter should not leave Yehuda. And again, we're going to run into interpretation concerns over here, depending on who's reading this. So Rav of the Mepharshim would say, this refers to the scepter referring to monarchy. But Barbanel may equivocate over here and say, well, that's if you have a king, if you chose that system of government. But be it as it may, um, the, the Torah tells us that Yehuda is specifically assigned to have the ruler, the, the, be the ruling class or, or produce a ruler, at least. So the Ramban, famously, the Ramban does not comment on Nach. He did, did but we don't have his writings except on Eov and Shirashirim. But he does comment on Nach through his commentary on the Torah. And he says that maybe this is the problem that, that was encountered by the Chashmonaim. Because ultimately, the Chashmonaim took rulership. And guess where, where they were from? They were from the tribe of... Levi. Levi. They came from the tribe of Levi and they did not, they did not um, re- return the monarchy once they fought back as the religious zealots to fight against the Greeks' law. They, 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 they maintained the monarchy and they did not give it back. And says the Ramban at the end over here, just to see what source I mean, uh, it's working on different. 18, thank you. At the very end, the last two lines is They were priests. It wasn't their job to, so to speak, overstep their bounds. Their role of leadership in society was to serve in the basis of English and was not to step onto the throne as well. So just to appreciate an expression of where this went awry is to, is to look into what happened with the Chashmonai the themselves. So here's the, fa- the, 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 the Hasmonean dynasty family tree. So you have Matisiel, um, who is, of course, the patriarch of the family. He's the one who kills that, 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 that uh, Greek or Hellenized representative in that village who wants to sacrifice a pig to, to one of the, the deities of the Greeks. He has five sons, famous, famously Yehuda. Then you have Jonathan, Eliezer, Shimon, and um, Yochanan. Yochanan is John. Okay, and then um, Shimon... When uh, after Yehuda passes away, I think there's three of the sons rule. Okay, three of the sons t- take rule, and then afterwards, um, Shimon's children take rule, and and the most famous of whom being a person called John Hyrcanes, who was called Yochanan, Kohen Gadol. That's what the Gemara calls him. Um, he was called in, in Greek. He was called John Hyrcanes the first, and he was a very powerful monarch at the time uh, in Israel. He lived in the uh, the year 135 to 105, or ruled um, before Common Era. That's when. He, he had a long-lasting reign, and he expanded the territory of Judea, of the, the, uh, of the sovereignty of Israel at that time, extensively, both to the east, the north, and the south. And in fact, for those people who go to visit this area, this excavation in Israel today called Beit Guvrin, if you want to do an excological dig, those were not 
Jewish homes that you are uncovering. Those were Edomian houses, and the reason why they were destroyed, uh, there's a debate between, the, there's a debate among the archaeologists as to why they were destroyed, whether it was the Jews who were trying to do a forced conversion upon them, and they, and they destroyed their houses when they did not acquiesce and moved south, or they themselves destroyed their own houses to avoid being, uh, being converted to Judaism. One of the only times in history that, is, that Judah, Jews forced Judaism upon any other nation. And he was criticized by this, by the Chachamim. This is not seen as a positive thing. But when you do those excavations, that was as a function of John Hurkanese. In fact, all the coins, the latest coins they found minted, go to the year, I believe it's 139 or whenever it was in his rule, that, 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 uh, that before Common Era, which is, the, that's when you sort of, when you can't find any coins later than that, you know, that's, that's the year that it must have happened or close to that year. So it all matches up to, to the rule of John Hurkanese. And we know that he was a complicated person. The Gemara says, you know, based on the part of the mission in Perikavos, and what does Yochanan Kohen Gadol say in Perikavos? What is his one statement that he says? Don't believe in yourself until the day of your death. Why, says the Gemara in Source 20 in Brachos, was a high priest, and at the end of his life, 80 years in, he became a Sadducee as well. Now, when you read this Gemara without context, you say, oh, Yochanan Kodagodol, he's a high priest, fantastic. What you don't realize is he's the grandson. He's the grandson of Matisiel. And it's not so much that he's the high priest that's the problem. The problem is that he's also the king. Right, that's the complexity of here. And it leads us to the foreign Gomorrah. The Gomorrah Kiddushin says, So we know that Yana Amelech. Now Yana is a term which refers to what the Gomorrah like terms is bad, bad, generally bad kings, bad Jewish kings. Um, and so this refers in this case to Yochanan Kohen Gadol. He went to Kulchis in the, in the desert after conquering 60 towns. And by the way, if you go down to Edomia and to, to Beit Guvrin, that's the, the area that he's just conquered. Okay? So you can visit this area. He was so happy afterwards. He was so happy about his conquest of expanding Israel. And he said, we're going to eat in the same way that when they were building the base of Migdash, they ate. So he, put, he sets up his tables lavishly and so on. There's a really bad fellow at the table. And his name was Eloza ben Pu'eira. And he says, Shmoy Vayomer Elozim in Poera, Liana Melech, Yana Melech, Libam Shoprushim Olecha. The Pharisees, knows the rabbis of the time, are, are, are plotting against you. Umoese, Hokem Lohem, but so he says, What shall I do to t- test the waters? So he says, Hokem Lohem, but sit Shibenecha, Hakim Lohem, so he says, Why don't you put your tits on? What's the tits again? That's the, 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 the forehead plate. That was one of the eight big day kohana worn by the coin goddle. Why did he have it? Because he was the coin goddle. He, um, he says, put it on. So he put it on. So you, there was a, an elder whose name was Yehuda ben Gedidya. And he says, Yehuda ben Gedidya. You have the crown already. Hanach keser kuhuna. Take off the tzitz. Okay, so this is precisely what we're talking about over here. He has overstepped the space that he is supposed to exist in. He's supposed to be the coin, but he's not supposed to wear the other crown. He's wearing two kasarim right now. 
so then there was a rumor about uh, Yana's mother was captive in Modi'im, and maybe his maybe his uh, lineage was tainted, and they found out that it was uh, it was just a rumor. These kind of things happen whenever there's too much power, <laughs> and uh, lineage is questioned. They're going to say this about you. You're a king and a priest. They're going to allow this to just slide. This is a more essay. She says, what should I do? By the way, notice that he's not very active. He is very passive. He says, trample them, crush them now. What about the Torah? What about the wisdom that they represent? Now, meaning to say the third arm, the third crown, which is Nevoah or Chachma. He says, They said, ah, Torah, it's all right. You can always learn it. What's he referring to? The Torah? Shemich Sav is is Munach Bekeren Zavis. You can always, but not the kid of the Torah Shemal Peh, because that's through the Chachamim. So this fellow, Elazar ben Poera, was ignoring the vibrant Torah expressed to the lives of people. Amar Rav Nachman by Yitzchak, Miyad Nizrakah be'al boy minus, Tahavolei lemeimar, Tinach Torah Shemich Sav Shemal Peh, Ma'at 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 He should have said, what about the Torah living through these people themselves? Ba'atut Zaytzrah, he killed the sages because he felt that they were overstepping their boundary. And ultimately the Torah was Shamem until the next set of Zugos came around Shimon ben Shetach, you read about as well. Where does it all come down to? What's the struggle over here? The struggle is, is when one person takes two roles of leadership, takes two crowns and ignores the third, which is trying to pull him back to check. Because for society to operate, for Jewish society to operate, you need to have distinct leaders who are doing distinct jobs. And when you put too many of them into one place, into one silo, then society will fail as it did as well. And uh, Josephus talks about this as well in his relationship to the Pharisees and why it was that he became a Sadducee as well. One of many examples when, two, when a power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. As Shakespeare says, and it's important to, to, to appreciate this and the struggle that the Torah is trying to encourage us when trying to govern a society. How do you understand? Where does Torah law live? Where does civic law live? Where is the Torah expressed? Where is the Torah taught? And how that harnesses those who are executing law in society as a whole. Which now leads us, as we, we have the opportunity now finishing this year, next week we're going to talk about the, the, the topic will be called Synagogue and State trying to understand modern Israel today, because all this comes to bear when the framers of Israel society came about in the last 75 years, trying to arrive at some balance between all these important values. Thank you so much for taking the time. I hope it is a wonderful and meaningful week ahead.